Good morning. It's Friday, December 4th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. The election results are clear. Joe Biden won, Donald Trump lost. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court added an exclamation point to that conclusion yesterday by refusing to hear the Trump campaign's legal challenges. But the president keeps repeating baseless claims of widespread voter fraud, and he'll be in Georgia this weekend. He'll be campaigning for the two Republican Senate candidates ahead of the special elections. What he's doing and saying, essentially undermining confidence in the U.S. electoral process, is having real-life negative consequences. Some election officials are being threatened with violence, even death threats. I realize all eyes have been on Georgia lately with its recounts and ongoing Senate races. But as The Washington Post points out, these threats on election officials are happening in a lot of places, not just Georgia. In Arizona, authorities are investigating calls for violence against Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who's a Democrat, as well as her staff and her family. The Minnesota Secretary of State said people are harassing his wife and his sister on social media. In Georgia, the Post reports, a caravan of Trump supporters surrounded Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's home. His wife is getting threats, too. And this week, a Trump campaign lawyer said Christopher Krebs, the former election security director, should be shot. President Trump fired Krebs after he called this past election the most secure in American history. State and local officials from both parties are speaking out about this now, imploring Trump and his supporters to tone down the rhetoric. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And it's not right. That's Gabriel Sterling. He's not only a Republican, he's also a top Georgia election official. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators... You have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. It's gotten so bad that Krebs, the former election security director that we mentioned earlier, made a pretty grim prediction this week. At a Washington Post Live event, he said persuading anyone to become an election official in the future is going to be much more difficult. And, you know, these positions are a key part of what makes U.S. elections secure and fair. How the heck are we going to recruit election workers and election administration officials going forward if they think they're going to get death threats online and in person? This has got to stop. Even before the coronavirus, America was already facing a massive substance abuse crisis. In 2019, tens of thousands of Americans died of drug overdoses. Now the isolation of the pandemic seems to be intensifying the urge to use some of these addictive substances. Politico has details about a spike in overdose deaths throughout the country, up 70% in Oregon, 27% in Maine, also in Colorado, Kentucky, and Louisiana. And now we're getting early signals about how a Biden administration plans to fight drug addiction, and it plans to do so very differently than Trump's team did. Addiction is an issue that hits close to home for Joe Biden. 
He talked about his son Hunter at a presidential debate. My son, like a lot of people, like a lot of people we know at home, had a drug problem. He's overtaken it. He's 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 fixed it. He's worked on it. And I'm proud of him. But why was Biden says he will treat drug use as a disease rather than a crime. He wants to make sure no one goes to jail for drug use alone. And he's pledging to fund treatment and prevention programs. This shift towards a public health approach rather than a law enforcement approach wouldn't just be a break from the last administration. It's also a big shift for Biden. Politico makes a very interesting point here. For years, as a senator, Biden used to be a drug policy hardliner. He pushed through tough drug sentencing bills like the 1994 crime bill, which he recently called a mistake. Today, Biden is still opposed to legalizing marijuana, and he supports mandatory rehab and drug courts, which some addiction advocates argue are still a form of punishment and feed into criminalization. This next segment sounds like a feel-good story, but really, it isn't. Mm -hmm. Anne McCloy is a local news anchor at CBS 6 Albany in New York. That's her day job, but in her off hours, she's providing a service that most people expect from their state government. During the pandemic, she's helping thousands of people figure out how to get unemployment benefits— The Atlantic has the story. Yeah, the magazine points out what's messed up here is this news anchor is doing a better job connecting people to the services they need than their own state government. In the early months of the pandemic, McCloy started getting phone calls and emails from viewers who were asking for help, saying they'd been waiting for a response from the unemployment office. And they said they were desperate. At one point, a 71-year-old man showed up in her station's parking lot, crying and holding a handful of documents, saying he didn't know where else to go. So many people in New York are in this situation. A spokesperson for Governor Andrew Cuomo's office told The Atlantic, between March and September of this year, New York processed more than 3.6 million regular unemployment claims, plus more than 1.5 million pandemic unemployment assistance claims. Now, it got so bad that the state's website and phone lines have not been able to support all of the traffic. Pages are crashing. Calls are just dropping. And McCloy has been following all of this. Earlier this year, at one of Governor Cuomo's press conferences, she got called on to ask a question. We have people calling our new station in tears, saying that they can't get through to the unemployment line. And She told the governor about the people who've been writing to her, the man in the parking lot, And the governor's office asked her to forward any complaints or stories that she was getting. She told The Atlantic she was getting an email a minute, even from people outside of the state. And as of mid-November, she forwarded around 3,500 emails and counting to the governor's office. Mm. You know, the governor's office even had to create a separate inbox just for her messages. And her efforts are working. Some people who said they had been waiting weeks or months to hear from the unemployment office... We're getting contacted the day after reaching out to McCloy. And while that's great for a few thousand people in New York, there are so many more around the country who don't have an Anne McCloy. Okay, I have a confession. If you asked me last week to name five songs by the K-pop group BTS... 
I don't think I would have been able to do it. But for this next story, I fell down such a music video rabbit hole. I've watched so many videos of them, and they're so enjoyable. We're going to tell you why Jin from BTS is having the best week ever. BTS has both the number one album and the number one song in the U.S. right now. And they set a record this week. Their track, Life Goes On, is the first predominantly Korean language song to top the U.S. charts. And you can hear why. It's got this groovy, sort of sauntering hip-hop beat, Mm -hmm. and the pop group sings about the struggles of pandemic life. Here's a clip of BTS's Life Goes On. But there's more reasons why Jin is having the best week. It's Jin's birthday today. He's the oldest member of the group. He's 28. But there's even more. Under South Korean law, Jin would have had to have enlisted in the military by today, his 28th birthday, and served for two years. But not him. Not now. The South Korean legislature passed an amendment with a little birthday boat tied around it. BuzzFeed News reports the amendment passed just in time for Jin's birthday, allows him to delay joining up until he's 30 years old. Yeah, and the government has made this type of exception before for people who've made significant contributions to South Korea's global reputation. According to BuzzFeed, the South Korean government expects the BTS song Dynamite, which topped the charts earlier this year, to generate up to $1.5 billion for the country's economy. That's billion with a B. So happy birthday, Jin, and congrats on having the best week ever. Well, the best week since last week when BTS scored its first Grammy nomination. You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of this week's audio stories. We'll talk with you again on Monday.